0: I'd appreciate it if you took a moment with me to go back to the Lord in prayer. Um, This scripture passage that we're about to read and and learn about, uh, I just feel more than ever the the realization that there is no way that in myself I can do the proper justice for this passage. It has to be the Lord shining through. So that's what I want to pray about, if you'd pray that with me. Father, your word is powerful and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that as we go about this really divine exercise the next few minutes where we look at your word and I pray that however you want to do it in whatever way you will be most glorified that you will speak to all of us through your word. Use me as you will in that process. Change us according to however you would want to change us that we might become more like your son the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Last few years, my older children have been going through the driver's education program. Um, And if you've had children go through that, you know all that wonderful road, (laughs) taking them through that. Uh, In fact, even now, Ethan is uh, in that period of time where he's completed the class, but he needs to accumulate 60 hours of practice driving, and he's doing that. Um, I found out something kind of strange a few years ago. I think when, when our oldest son, Ben, was doing driver's ed. Uh, ben said that, you know, they, they didn't take us out on an interstate, Dad. And I said, you know, during the class, they didn't take him out. And I said, well, why not? And Ben said, well, the instructor said that there are no interstates in Stanley County, and that's where we live. And I guess it's limited to that. So guess who gets to introduce my <laughs> young people to driving on an interstate yes that's me um, and you know the key to driving on an interstate I assume most of you drive on interstates probably not all of you but the key is it not when you're learning to do that especially and any time thereafter is learning how to ease into the flow of traffic on the interstate right That's really the key. Getting off is fairly simple, but getting on is the key. And it's as we get into that flow of traffic that we're then enabled to move along at a rapid rate and get where we want to go. Over the last several weeks, um, we have been as a church exploring really coming before the Lord from the book of Acts, a period of time of prayerful, I would say, meditation, learning uh, from the book of Acts, as Matt has been preaching on that, our, our adult Sunday school, our Sunday school, I should say, as a whole, has been going over the book of Acts. And we've been asking the question, what does it mean, Lord, for us to be the church? What does it mean for Doolin's Grove or for any local church to be the church in 2018? And, of course, the place to look at is the Word of God for that. Essentially, what we're trying to do is get ourselves into God's interstate highway and get ourselves into His flow of where He is going. You know, it's one thing, you you could be a driver and you could drive around and never go on an interstate. I won't ask you if that's you. Right? I know some people that prefer not to do that. You can, you can drive and never get on that interstate, and you can you could even drive right up to the interstate and say, you yeah, not today, and then go on the back roads and never have that experience of actually getting in a very quick way to another destination, um, so there's always the option of sort of bailing out. I don't think we want to do that as a church, do we? We want to get on God's interstate, and, and we have to learn how. And I'm not, tell you, I'm not here to tell you all how to do that. That's God's job, to tell us how to do that. But as, we, as I was thinking and praying about the message this morning, I wanted to be able to share with you... Uh, In a a wider perspective, which I think will help us as we go back and look at the book of Acts and the specific things that God teaches us about being the church in the book of Acts, I wanted to share a wider perspective of God's purpose in the world. And you will see then, not today, but in the coming weeks, how the book of Acts fits exactly in with God's wider purpose. And to do that, the text we're going to look at today is Psalm 67. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. I'd like you to uh, follow along as I read it. I think, yep, there it is, up there. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. One of the things we have to realize as we look at this psalm is that when this was written a couple of thousand years ago or so, uh, the Hebrews, and God inspired his word to be among the Hebrew people, uh, among this and many other things written in the Old Testament, they didn't have ways of... uh, making things stand out in bold print like we do. We can bold things or make things italics or do all kinds of graphic things. So they had to structure their uh, poems and their songs in such a way that made the point stand out. And one of the ways they did that uh, is it'll become quite clear in this psalm. Even you may have picked up on some of the elements of it as we just read it here. The, The best picture that I can come up with Uh, for how this psalm is put together, which leads us to the the point of it and God's message for it, is if you'll picture in your mind a a stream that flows at the bottom of two stream beds on either side, stream banks. And so what we have is two banks sloping down to a stream or a creek at the bottom. Everything kind of filters down to this bottom creek bed where there is a river there. And that is the focal point of this psalm, and which is found actually in verse 4, which we're going to get to. Everything parallels and filters down along the banks of the stream. And what we're going to do this morning is take some steps from the beginning of the top of the the, the bank, down a little bit until we get to that stream bank. The first thing that we see when we come to the edge of the stream bank, it doesn't matter which side you come to, is we, that we see that God has a purpose beyond our personal consumption for the blessings that he gives to his people. God has a purpose that's beyond our personal comfort, beyond our personal consumption, if you will, for the blessings that he gives to us and to his people in general. The verses of verse 1 and verse 2, you can think of that as one side of the stream bank, is paralleled the same theme in verses 6 and 7. So they come at it from both sides. So I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2 where this comes out. May God be gracious to us and bless us, asking for a blessing from the Lord, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. God has a purpose for the blessings that you and I receive, and it's beyond that purpose is not just our own comfort and our own convenience. Too often we stay there. This this verse, especially verse one, is drawn from a place earlier in the Old Testament. You might have a recognition of some of those words. It's drawn from what is called the, the blessing of Aaron, or the Aaronic blessing that comes from Numbers chapter 6. And it's in that scene in Numbers where God is giving instructions to Aaron and his family, Aaron being Moses' brother. And remember that Aaron and his family were the priests, and God, this is absolutely critical for, understand, for us to understand, God is giving instructions for Aaron and the priesthood to bless, to be a mediator of God's blessing to the people. So he's telling them, this is what you are to say from me to bless my people. Aaron and his family, the priesthood, was to mediate, to be the sounding board of that blessing to the people. And this is what it says in Numbers chapter 6. Verses 22 to 27, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious to you, excuse me, and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Very significant. The mediators of the blessing of God. In the New Testament, it says that we, the church, are a royal priesthood. Guess what? Our job is we are mediators of the blessing of God to the world around us. Just as Aaron and his family, the priesthood, were mediators of God's blessing to his people. That is also our job. When we talk about blessing, we're talking about a lot of different things all put together. It certainly has to do with material blessing. That's what we often think of when we say, well, I've been very blessed. We might be talking about um, finances or some material possessions or something like that, and that's certainly a legitimate part of it. But it's wider than that. It's broader than that. It also has to do with the blessing of family. We've probably heard people say, well, I'm not very rich, but I'm rich in family. And truly, we know those of us who have family, that have whole, wholesome, good relationships, what a tremendous blessing family is to us. But it's even deeper than material and family blessings. It has to do with our health as well. If anybody's been sick, you'll know how good it is to be whole in mind and body and spirit and emotions, all of those relationship to our health and how good that is. That's part of God's blessing. But we would be missing the core of it if we didn't talk about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, which bind everything together together. And I could literally be here for the rest of the day talking about the blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is the one that has made it possible for sinners like you and I to be uh, made whole, to be forgiven, to be in the presence of God for et- and have eternal life all through the grace and the blessing that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are Those blessings are overflowing. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about the blessing of God. And here's the purpose. I said there's a, there's a purpose for the blessing that God has given us. And it's embedded right here in verses 1 and 2. Going back. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And here's the reason. So that. Why? So that we can sit back and just soak it all in? Nope. That your way may be known on earth. You're saving power among all nations. You've heard it said before, and it's kind of a cliche, but it's right to the point. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's the point here. The purpose of God's blessing on his people and all the blessings that are a part of knowing Christ, the purpose of that is so that the peoples of the world... The nations, all the nations of the world would come to know God's saving power and experience that life in Christ that you and I have experienced. That's the purpose that he gives for our blessing. It's to overflow and to pass it on to others. Interesting in this passage, if you'll, as you 're reading through it you 'll see the nations mentioned several times, the peoples of the earth, that kind of language over and over and over again in this psalm sixty seven there 's actually three different Hebrew words in this in this uh, psalm that refer to almost the same thing the nations, the peoples and it 's just just altogether uh, a way of emphasizing that This is the purpose of the blessing that God God has, that it would be extended and overflowing to all the peoples of the world. This blessing to be a blessing goes all the way back to a a guy that I think you've heard about, a guy named Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God appears to him, his name was Abram at that time, and God gives him a, a tremendous promise. And in Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, this is what we read. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is an awesome, amazing promise. Notice first, Abraham didn't ask for this. God just came to him and said, this is what I'm going to do through you. Blows him away with this promise. You will be a blessing. You, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not, well, I'm really hoping, Abraham, that through you, maybe my blessing can kind of percolate out, spill out to others. No, God says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It will happen. I'm going to see that it happens through you. That's the kind of God that we serve. Abram, you know what his name, Abram, means? Exalted father. And then later in Abraham, Abram's life, God comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to make you not Abram anymore. I'm going to make you Abraham. Abraham. Which, no, it doesn't mean exalted father. It means father of a multitude. Embedded in Abraham's very name is the promise of what God is going to do to through Abraham and his descendants to be To share the blessing to all the nations of the world. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That blows me away. It may be that that's enough of a message for you (laughs) this morning, that the blessing that God has given you in Christ isn't for your personal consumption alone. It's to be passed on to your neighbor and to the nations of the earth. That may be enough, but that's not where the psalm stops. It keeps going. We just reach the edge of the bank and start just taking the first step down toward the river. What we find as we edge down the stream bank one step further is that there's a purpose for all the nations and the families of the earth coming to know the saving power of God. And his salvation. There's a purpose beyond that. Beyond just their salvation. I mean, that's awesome enough. But there's even a deeper purpose beyond that. And that's what we find going back to Psalm 67 in verses 3 and 5. And you'll notice in your Bible that verse 3 and 5, again coming down the banks toward that river... The, those two verses, three and five, are the exact word for word, paralleled there. And this is what they say. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. What are we talking about here, praising? We're talking about worship. The goal behind the peoples coming to know the saving power of God in Christ is that they will worship Him and glorify His name. Missions, therefore, is really all about worship. You say, what? Missions isn't about worship. Worship what we do here, and we go out there, and we do missions. No, missions is vitally linked to worship, Uh, Pastor John Piper helps us here. And he says, this is an excellent quote. He says, missions exists because worship does not. Think about that. Missions exists because worship does not. There are 42% of the world's people groups are not worshiping Christ Jesus, our Lord. Missions exists because worship does not. Missions is simply the means to the end that all the families of the earth will worship God and come to glorify His name. That's His plan. That's His flow. That's His purpose for all created order. The glory of God is the purpose behind the blessing that comes to all in knowing Christ Jesus. It is to bring glory back onto God's name and honor for him. In fact, I'm going to just throw this boulder right out at you. The glory of God is the unifying theme of all the scriptures. Okay, i <laughs> to chew on that for a while. The glory of God is the unifying theme of the entire Bible. I could, show, I could literally share with you hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that would back me up in that. But I'm going to, I've selected just three to go through and, and show you a sampling of what I'm talking about. First comes from the book of Numbers. Here's this, uh, excuse me, the book of Exodus. Um, here's this scene in which God has told Pharaoh, God is speaking to Pharaoh through Moses God has called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And, you know, it doesn't go exactly the way Moses expected at first. In fact, it gets worse, and the people start questioning Moses. And God says essentially to Moses, look, I've got a plan here. You may not understand it fully, but I've got a plan. And Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him these words. It's a longer passage. I've just pulled out one verse. It's Exodus 9:16. "This is what you're to tell Pharaoh, "But for this purpose, I have raised you up, Pharaoh. Why? To show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth." "Pharaoh, I raised you up for one purpose, and I harden your heart for one purpose. Why? So that my name will be proclaimed." in all the earth. Why didn't God just, you know, hey, let's just do this the easy way. I can just get these people right out of Egypt, no problem. Why didn't he just like wipe out the Egyptians completely in one day and then they can easily go out? Why did he go through this extremely inefficient process of having all these 10 plagues and all this other stuff happening and then finally, finally they go out? God isn't after efficiency. That's not his purpose. His purpose is that his name will be proclaimed through all the earth. Moving on to the uh, end of the Old Testament, a place we rarely go called the Minor Prophets, this guy named Habakkuk, a prophet. Um, He lived right before the destruction of Jerusalem. And God gave Habakkuk uh, uh, a vision that the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed very soon. And it was not a very pleasant vision for Habakkuk to sort of absorb. But God comes to him and he comforts him. And he says, Habakkuk, I've, I've got a plan. It may not look like it, but my plan, this fits in my overall flow, my overall purpose. And so he says to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Amazing. It's God's plan, it's His purpose. Going all the way back to Abraham and before that, it's the story of the Bible. It's his glory among the nations, among all of the created world. Jumping now, last scripture on this, going all the way to the end of the New Testament in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, and God gives this vision, we call the book of Revelation, to the apostle John. And John sees something in chapter 7 that just sort of is the crowning moment of this this, vision purpose of God to be glorified among all the earth. In chapter 7, verse 9, John wrote, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And what are they doing? They're worshiping. That's God's plan. Crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The one thing I love about this, well, more than one thing, but one of the things that I love the most is this is not wishful thinking on God's part. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. His blessings are given so that they would overflow to others. And as we are blessed and the nations are blessed with the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it comes back to God in glory to his name. And that is what his purpose is. And that is the theme of all of Scripture. And that is the flow of God's interstate highway. And we want to get on that. We want to be on that. And now we've come all the way down to the stream at the bottom of the bank. Verse 4, the focal point, sort of the climax of this whole psalm. And when we get there and we step in, we find something unexpected. We find a river that's overflowing with joy. Oh, I'm not sure. didn't expect that when we got down to the bottom of the the stream we find a river of overflowing joy see god's greatest desire is to fill us to overflowing with the joy of knowing him in christ jesus because in doing that God is magnified and glorified more than in anything else. That's a mouthful. But God's greatest desire is to fill us with an overflowing joy in his presence. Because when he does that, he is magnified and he is glorified more than at any other time. This verse, let me read it, verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. This is a description of what it means to live under the rule or the reign of God. This is essentially what it means to live and be a part of the kingdom of God. The righteous Rule and reign of God. Do you know what Jesus' first recorded sermon was? We find that in probably the first recorded sermon in the book of Mark, chapter 1. Jesus sort of bursts on the scene, and you know what his message is? He says, the time is fulfilled. What time? What's, What's being fulfilled? Psalm 67 is going to be fulfilled right now. The whole Old Testament is coming to fulfillment right now. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. I'm bringing it. I'm here. I've inaugurated it here and now. Repent, therefore, and believe the gospel. That's Jesus' message. Everything that the Scripture's been pointing to, He says, I'm bringing it right now. The righteous rule in the reign of of God. And we live in the kingdom of God if you live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse, chapter 4, back to Psalm 67, gives us a picture of the reign of Christ and a perfect blending, in a perfect harmony of the the strength of God's righteous judgment. In other words, fairness and righteousness for all people. That's what... Brings, as it says there, uh, for you judge the peoples with equity. Blending that perfectly with the tender love of the good shepherd who guides us. And so he says, and you guide the nations upon the earth. That's what God's reign is all about. The perfect blending of those two things encapsulated in this verse 4. So let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Joy. When's the last time you sung for joy? I hope it was just a few minutes ago. But I know for some of us it's probably been a long time. God wants us to sing for joy. Let's get a grasp on what this joy thing is all about, okay? Okay. Joy is something much deeper than being super happy that your dad brought pizza home for supper, okay? Now, there's nothing wrong with that, being happy for, you know, what happened, but joy goes much deeper than circumstantial happiness. Joy is deep-seated, it's eternal, it's steady, it's founded in who God is. In fact, I take it a step further— True joy, the very deepest joy possible, is worship. Get that The very deepest joy that is possible for you and me is the worship of God. When we find our deepest satisfaction in Him alone, and that becomes our greatest joy. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy when they find their satisfaction in God and in God alone. We were created to be worshipers. We know that. We were created to be worshipers. Again, John Piper helps us here. He says, Our greatest joy comes from becoming what God intends us to be, worshipers. worshippers It's what we find in Psalm 16, verse 11, which I believe we have up here. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Let that sink in for a moment. Where is the fullness of joy found? In the presence of God. And what what do we do in the presence of God? We worship. We bow before Him. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're about God's glory and that being His ultimate purpose, but then we come to this river of joy. And how do these two things fit together? Like, what's the connection here? Well, the glory of God is greatest when our joy in his presence is greatest. The glory of God is greatest and magnified the most when our joy in him and in his presence is at its greatest. That's the connection. So his glory and his magnification is also our greatest joy and our deepest satisfaction. Again, John Piper God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And he goes on to say, well, before I go to the Piper quote, you, you might think when, when we talk about God God's goal being to get glory for himself, a lot of people have a reaction of, well, isn't that a little bit self-centered? You know, I mean, that just seems kind of rude that God wants to grab glory for himself. I mean, I thought that God was all about loving others and giving of himself to others and, and all that. What is this about God's ultimate goal and purpose for everything being his own glory? Well, we come that at it, remember, from our human perspective. And it's very true that when you or I exalt someone else or something else other than God, it isn't correct. They're not worthy of worship. And therefore, it's wrong. But you see, God is the only living being in this entire universe who is worthy of worship. And so when, when we give him honor and glory, when he exalts himself by saving others and redeeming folks from all nations and tribes and receiving the glory back to himself, he's receiving what is fully due his name, what is fully due to him. He alone is worthy of that. So there's no, there's no self-centeredness there. He is the perfect object for our honor and glory and magnification. It is due to no one else. John Piper says, When we exalt ourselves or I could add anybody else, we are distracting people from what will bring true and lasting joy. But when God exalts himself, he distracts people, excuse me, he directs people to that true and lasting joy. That's the difference. There is a fundamental difference between God and anything or anyone else in the universe. He alone deserves the praise. So the bottom line in all this, God is most glorified when we find our deepest joy, our deepest satisfaction in him. Our job is to be worshipers and that that blessing would overflow to the nations. God's redemptive plan is to fill the earth with worshipers. Revelation chapter 7 shows us that that is going to happen. Just think about that. A people from every single people group in the world bowing before the throne of God and worshiping Him. It hasn't happened yet. But that's His plan and purpose. It started with Abraham. It progressed through Israel. And it's continuing through you, me, the church. And it will climax when Christ returns to receive the glory and honor that is due only to his name. Thought about a lot of different ways to try to bring this back home and end it uh, for us. There's so many different ways that we could sort of land the plane here. But I wanted to bring it back to us in our understanding of what it means to be the church. And as we look at and meditate prayerfully from the book of Acts in this season about us as a church. This, this changes everything about church. It seems it does to me. You know, church, it's not about relieving a guilty conscience. It's not about making your family members happy that you showed up. And it's certainly not about coming to receive three tips for how to be a better parent. All those things can happen and maybe do happen at church. That's not what it's all about. Those are lesser goals by far. The goal of church is about being a true worshiper of God. It's about finding our deepest joy and satisfaction in the God who created us. It's about joining the flow of God's purpose for the world that we see in Psalm 67. And that purpose is to redeem a people with the blessings of Christ, a people from every people, every nation, from all over the world, as worshipers, thus bringing the greatest glory and honor back to God himself. What an awesome God we have. He alone can do that. Let's, as a church... Determine, if we don't do anything else from this, that we want to be a part of that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us. Catch us up into your flow, into your purpose. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. You have done more for us than we can ever fully grasp. Help us to give ourselves anew individually but also as a church to you and to your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.